Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, now I'd like to welcome you to this panel discussion on instability and bullying, a discussion on the panel of CRNA preceptors. This session will be shared live on the Beyond the Mask podcast, hosted by our presenters, Sharon Pierce and Jeremy Stanley, who are joining us from the public. I will now hand it off to Holly Chandler, who will be leading the panel discussion. Thank you, Sharon. Um, my name is Dr. Holly Chandler. I'm an associate professor in the School of Nurse Anesthesia at Bryan College of Health Sciences. I completed my EDD at Bryan College of Health Sciences in 2020, and I graduated from Mount Marty Nurse Anesthesia Program in South Dakota with a master's degree in 2004. And in 2000, obtained a Bachelor's of Science degree in healthcare management from Belgium University. My nursing degree was from College of St. Mary's in Omaha, Nebraska in 1995. I'm a former president of the Nebraska Association of Nurse Anesthetists and have served on the NANA board for over a decade. I have a passion for educating students about our profession and instilling in them a desire to protect it. I'm now pleased um, to introduce our podcast host, Dr. Sharon Pierce graduated from the Wake Forest University Baptist Medical Hospital Nurse Anesthesia Program in 1992, and she received a doctorate from Yale University in 2021. She resides in North Carolina currently and currently works as a 1099 practicing CRNA in hospitals and office-based practices. Sharon's professional service includes being a past president of the North Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists, serving three years on the AANA, American Association of Nurse Anesthetists Public Relations PR Committee, where she did media training for state associations. Sharon produced the AANA PR award-winning video, The Best Kept Secret in Healthcare. She chaired the Government Relations Committee of the AANA in 2009 to 2010, 2010, and has been a registered lobbyist for many years with legislative involvement for over 19 years. Her board of directors service at the national level of the ANA has included Region 2 Director, Vice President, President-Elect, and President from 2014 to 2015. Jeremy Stanley is the President and Founder of CRNA Financial Planning and CRNA Tax Associates, which is an AANA Member Advantage Program partner. For more than two decades, he has been helping CRNAs utilize their career paths to pursue their dreams. As a member of the Wake Forest Baptist Health Nurse Anesthesia Program Advisory Committee, as well as a public trustee to the ANA Foundation, Jeremy stays abreast of the ever-evolving healthcare landscape, as well as the political issues that affect CRNAs. An advocate for the CRNA profession, Jeremy has written two books exclusively for CRNAs. The Wealthy CRNA lays out a foundational roadmap for CRNAs to plan their financial futures, and a CRNA's life after anesthesia is designed to assist CRNAs in planning for retirement. He has spoken to thousands of CRNAs and SRNAs at numerous schools, state associations, and private CRNA groups, as well as, as at multiple AANA events on topics such as utilizing your career path to pursue your goals, the business of freelancing, and retirement planning. He is also married to a CRNA. I really enjoyed putting together this extremely talented group of CRNA panelists for today's presentation and podcast. 
Um, I would like to invite them to introduce themselves to the audience. We'll, we'll go ahead and start with Ann Hosh. Okay. Well, good morning. My name is Ann Donnelly Hosh, and I am um, a CRNA of 27 years. I've been working with students. I couldn't nail it down probably for the last 15 plus years. And um, I work at a teaching institution, which supports that. My name is Madison Cooper. I've been a CRNA for a whopping one whole year. <laughs> and um, I, we have students at our rural facility. And I'm Jay McLaren. I've been a CRNA for just under a year, like Madison. We graduated together. Uh, I work in Kearney, Nebraska at Kearney Regional Medical Center for Sono Anesthesia. So with that, uh, Sharon, Jeremy, you guys want to take over? We will take over. Thank you and welcome everyone. We're glad to be here with the Nebraska State Association this morning on Beyond the Mask podcast. Sharon, how you doing out there? Oh, I'm doing good, but you know, I'd much rather be in the meeting uh, in person, but I guess this is the next best thing. I love sitting in the meetings and looking at people coming in and talk to them and meet new CRNAs. And, you know, I was thinking, how long has it been since I've been to Nebraska? And it was back in probably the early 2000s since wow. I've been to the Nebraska meeting. Yes. Sounds like maybe, uh, you know, we could have gone this year, but, you know, it was tax week for me, and it wasn't a good time. And I'm actually glad that we didn't plan to do this because I had the stomach bug all week, which uh, I wouldn't want to share with anybody, okay? Um, <laughs> you, so, were, you were pretty peaked, as pretty the punid. old folks used yeah, to say. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I, I think this is going to be a great show. You know, we've talked about this topic before on the podcast, actually, with Holly. Um, and today we're going to take a little different uh, dive into incivility and bullying. So Sharon, do you want to say anything about incivility and bullying? Because, you know, I, I know you've been a nurse and a CRNA for a while, and I just got a real quick question for you. Oh, there, here we go. Has there been a situation that you remember being bullied, either as a SRNA or CRNA? Well, I think we've all had something happen to us. You know, I've been a nurse for almost 38 years, and I think wow. that it was much more, shut up, <laughs> <laughs> it was much more acceptable. I've had instruments thrown at me. I have bags of blood thrown at me in the operating room. Of course, it only happened uh, once either occasion um, because I would stand up for myself, but I think all of us have incidences uh, that we can remember. So before we get right into this topic, Anne, why don't you define incivility and bullying and talk to us about the difference between the two? Thank you, Sharon. I'd love to do that. Um, as Holly said, she did do her dissertation on incivility and bullying. And so um, I had her send me it and I did read it all, which uh, surprised her, but it's a very good dissertation and um, it, was, it was an enjoyable read. So um, I did see that she had um, gone through the literature and that she had vetted um, these definitions and came up with very clear ones. So um, I'm going to use her definition from her dissertation of incivility and bullying. Incivility is defined as actions which are ambiguous in intent, non-physical. They involve disruptive behaviors like eye rolling, telling secrets, rumor spreading, isolation, or exclusion. The behaviors create a disruptive environment and may lead to or escalate to bullying. Bullying, on the other hand, is defined as repeated health-harming mistreatment of one or more persons by one or more perpetrators. Bullying is abusive conduct that takes one or more of the following forms. It can be verbal abuse, threatening behaviors, intimidating or humiliating behavior, and sabotage. Bullying behavior is intentional purposeful and repeated behavior, which causes harm. So when I think about the differences, obviously bullying is more severe and, and should not be tolerated at all. Um, but the main thing is incivility can be intentional or it may not be. Someone may not even realize that they're being incivil. Bullying is definitely intentional. 
Great, and thank you for that. I think that uh, Holly summed it up best in, in that paper. Madison, since you are our newly minted CRNA, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the physical and, and mental effects of bullying and incivility on SRNAs, since the, you probably have the, the memories of some of these things. Yes. So um, what, what I'm using is, again, the, the research that Holly Chandler referenced in, in her dissertation. Um, but I think some of the bigger ones um, are poor clinical performance, poor didactic performance, um, and a lot of health issues can arise from it, too. Um, a lot of these were listed as fears of going to clinical, headaches, GI upset, anxiety, depression, and a lot of students um, through the studies that Holly referenced were even thoughts of leaving their programs altogether. I mean, obviously, we all know that anesthesia is is done and learned and performed in a high-stress environment, um, and I think that when, when aggressors are involved, um, that the stress and effect of well-being on SRNAs is cumulative um, and, and just creates a, a much poorer environment for them. Is it Jay or Jason? Which do you like to go by? Uh, my mom calls me Jason, but everyone else. Oh, oh, that meant you were getting a spanking, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Since since we're not spanking today, we'll call you Jay then. So Jay, talk to us a little bit about your perspective as a newly transitioned CRNA. It's humbling to be alone that first day as a CRNA and then it's even more humbling to have a student for the first time. And I remember having my first student and I'm like, and I was thinking about, I really wasn't concerned so much about like, Oh, this is, I really want them to understand anesthesia. I just wanted them to feel comfortable. I was like, I remembered when I had bad days. I remember when I had preceptors that I was very uncomfortable with and I just wanted them to know, I want you to learn here, but I also want you to be comfortable and I want you to be able to come to me with anything and trust me because I can trust you. And I just felt like that was really important to me to convey to them that none of this incivility and bullying would be tolerated. So let me ask you, was that foremost on your mind because it had happened to you? I would, I would say there was definitely incivility in my uh, clinical rotations, but I heard a lot of stories of probably bullying. So to me, I felt it was important that that just doesn't happen or that I don't do it. I have no control over the other preceptors in my group, uh, the other CRNAs, but I have control over myself. And I just wanted to be sure that I never fall into that trap of being in civil. And I think that's the important takeaway from this is not so much like, oh, what policies can we put in place? What can we do to deter it? It's really something we have to just look inward and make sure that we're not the persons who are doing it. Go ahead, Jeremy. I'll let you talk for just a minute. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sharon. <laughs> Madison, I, I'm, just, I'm just wondering if you had any perspective on that as well. You know, um, any challenges, anything that comes to mind for you? Um, I think, you know, one of, uh, one of the biggest challenges is, uh, you know, like Jay said, there were instances of incivility and bullying that we've all experienced in our training and is how how do we navigate those relationships with the people now that we feel treated us, you know, uncivilly or, or bullied us, um, knowing that they're still doing it to other students. Um, so I think that haven't quite figured it out yet, but um, <laughs> I think that's probably the, the biggest challenge that I see. It's it's interesting to me because I I didn't realize the the huge problem that this is. And I've been doing a little bit of research on my own. And I found a study that said 78% of nursing students in general have experienced bullying during nursing school. And Sharon, I've heard you say this before, uh, nurses eat their young. Mm -hmm. And it just seems to be a perpetual thing that continues over and over and you know i would like to know you know what what all of you think some of the biggest barriers or challenges are to changing some of these behaviors and do you think it's gotten worse because it's been a huge discussion in society lately about how uncivil or incivil um that we've all become and let's just start with you because, um, you know, let's, let's kind of hear your voice on this. Okay. Yeah. 
So you're correct. I mean, society has become um, more uncivil. And um, I think it's really important that in our personal lives and in our work life, that we kind of keep that in mind. And, and um, when things get heated, take a breath. It's funny because I'm farther out from these guys. So I can remember um, I all the way back to being a new nurse. And um, my husband and I were talking about this. And I started on nights, uh, 12 hour shifts. And I worked with a nurse that was many years older than me. And and we called her Mean Jean because <laughs> she was so hard on me every night. When she was there, I would dread coming to work. And she didn't teach me at all because I was always so nervous. And then when I was working with someone else, that was because she was my preceptor, that when she wasn't there, I did so much better. And I learned, and I finally learned how to deal with her. I can also go to anesthesia school. And um, like I said, I'm farther out, so I can talk a little bit more freely, I think, but also um, had people that were uncivil. I don't know if I'd call it bullying, but it was repeated behavior. Um, and there was that person that you just dreaded working with if you were with them that day. It just made your day much more stressful. And um, I, I guess I, I don't remember ever being to the point where I'm not going. I'm calling in today. I'm not going to work with them. I just, I just kept going in and um, told myself it would make me stronger. But really, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know who to talk to. I was, I was um, afraid to talk to anyone. And so um, uh, that was difficult getting through that and caused a lot of stress. So I think you just brought up something very important. It, it was hard to talk to someone about it. You also talk about everybody knew me and Jean. So clearly things have not changed that much because Madison and Jay, amongst the uh, SRNA community, y'all still know who the biggest offenders are and who you don't want to work with, right? When we would look at assignments, uh, at night, they would, they would assign us. And I remember there were definitely times that I was more concerned about who I was working with than what case I was doing. That's a very tactful way of putting it there, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully none of those people are in the room, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> now he's looking around know, right? to see if they're in Oops. there, right? <laughs> oh, well, you, you got the seat now. You're good. And I think that that's the point is it's hard to confront somebody about something like that. Like nobody's going to openly admit that, oh, I, I bully people. I'm uncivil. I'm a racist. I'm homophobic. Everyone would deny it, but it's, it's hard to imagine yourself behaving that way. And then you have to think about, well, maybe I did because I precepted a lot of nurses before I went to CRNA school. I was a flight nurse and I had a, a nurse go to a manager that said, Jay said this thing to me and it. And I, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was very nice. And I was just kind of taken aback. I thought, I wasn't, that's not what I meant by what I said to her. And it doesn't really matter if I agree or disagree because she perceived it as an incivil behavior. And that's really what matters. Right. But I think in that scenario as well, I mean, you know, being able to talk about it is, is kind of the key because we're all going to say things that somebody else doesn't like. Right. I mean, that's always going to happen in life. And if you're able to confront it right there and say, hey, you know what, Jay, I know you probably didn't mean this, but this is the way it kind of made me feel. And, you know, if you present it like that, uh, you know, I think that you can kind of nip some of that in the bud right there. But unfortunately, what I think happens sometimes is you say something to somebody and they hold on to it and then they think about it. And, you know, why did Jay feel like he could talk to me like that? You know, and then it gets worse and worse and worse and then it blows up. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lesson under the line here a little bit for all of us that when we do feel those types of situations to, to be able to talk about it right then and there and get it out on the table. Very good point. This week I had zipped off a quick email to Jeremy about something and I compared him to somebody. <laughs> and she did. He emailed <laughs> me back. He goes, you do not ever compare me to that. But he, you know, he was addressing the situation and so, of course, I'm like, I'm sorry, I never meant to do that. I was, anyway. So, I hear what you're saying, Jeremy, and I absolutely agree with you. Well, let's go to being a good preceptor. And, Anne, 
it, it sounds like you've been a preceptor for at least 15 years. What qualities do you think that it takes to be a good preceptor? Well, I've been trying to figure that out for the past 15 years, but um, I can. Well, your students here both said you were awesome. So I think you've got it. Nice. Well, like Jay said, the first thing I do is um, I want the student to feel comfortable. And, um, you know, people I work with, we have so many different CRNAs that precept that I'm sure it's very difficult for students and they all offer wonderful things. We're all different. But one of the things that, and as we were talking, that's really important to set up first thing, and I'm always trying to practice this and get better at it, is communication. Um, you know, be, being clear and concise um, about expectations, and also asking the student what they need. So And that's really hard sometimes because um, that's why I like when students call me the night before. Um, Sometimes we've gotten away from this a little bit, but to discuss a case, especially in their um, first year, because that gives you time to talk a little bit and hopefully be on the same page. Um, So I think that's really important. I kind of mentioned establishing a learning environment. And to me, a learning environment is one where you make them comfortable. So when we come in the room, I try to be efficient. I want to be almost as quick as if it were just me um, doing the induction and putting the patient to sleep. However, taking time to be safe and making that student feel comfortable. So when we come in, you can tell when students come in, they're nervous, they're shaking, you see the signs. And I just say, take a deep breath, you can do this, you know, you know, and, and if we're brand new, I'll say today, we're just going to focusing on, we're going to focus on masking and intubation, you know, and, and then as students progress, you establish, you know, what their needs are and work with them on that. And then, yeah, just broaden their responsibilities as they go on. But that's kind of, that's kind of my tact. Um, I'm not a big pimper. I usually do that on the phone the night before and, and then have them look things up and read about them then. And I guess part of that for me is I like, lots of times I like to concentrate on the, on the case at the time. If there's something they don't understand, we'll talk about it or talk about it later. Thank you. Yeah. Madison, I kind of want to get your viewpoint on this as well. As you said, a newly minted CRNA, Um, you know, how do you think communication can be improved upon between educators preceptors, CRNAs, and SRNAs. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to kind of hear your perspective since you've just been out for a little while and you've kind of lived through this. What do you wish that you would have seen maybe that you didn't while you were in school? That's a tough question because in a perfect world, we would all be in the same place at the same time and have all of the same um, education and training. Um, But, you know, we're all we're all spread all over the state. So that isn't possible. I think that the the college does an excellent job of providing education to students. Um, one thing I will say that I think could be better is just everyone's places of employment, increasing communication maybe with the college. It seems like um, I think that there could be maybe a little break there. Um, you know, we, we want the, the students to be independent and and initiate that conversation themselves, but uh, maybe a a little bit more conversation between college to all of the clinical sites would be, I guess, what I would think a good starting point would be. Any college to any clinical site. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA. 
yourself, and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Yeah. You know, I think I've, I've heard this before, and like I said, we've broached this topic before. And, you know, I've often said as an outsider, you know, in, in my business, you know, I don't really ever remember being bullied. Um, or, or, you know, people have been in civil, but, you know, it, I just don't remember, you know, and I'm not sure on the business side if it's as prevalent as it is in your industry. But, you know, I remember, and I've been around a lot of CRNAs in my life, and I remember those CRNAs who, or SRNAs at the time, who were scared to death to work with that one person like me and Jean, Anne. And it still happens. You know, my wife uh, teaches, uh, you know, students as well. And, you know, she talks to them and she tries to figure out, you know, about their life and, you know, kind of relax them. And if they mess up, they mess up. That's just part of it. Um, But she hears, you know what, I don't want to work with such and such because they're so hard on me. And not that you they shouldn't be somewhat hard. I get it. But if, if students are scared to work with certain CRNAs, I've always said, is there a way to identify those CRNAs and either have a conversation or try to steer students clear of those folks? And Jay, I'm going to let you tackle this one and give me your thoughts, because this is an outsider, um, you know, saying this and addressing this. But to me, it makes logical sense. If we've got someone who consistently students are saying, you know what, this person is not very nice to me and, you know, they, they, they treat me bad and so forth. What would you say, Jay, about identifying those people and either having a conversation from either their chief CRNA or, or whoever's leading the school um, or possibly just not putting students with that person? I think it's a good thought to maybe avoid having students with someone, but in lots of places, it's simply impossible. There's just not enough cases to go around. There's not enough CRNAs to go around. They just have to go with those people. As a student, it was impossible for me to confront. I mean, I did advocate for myself from time to time, but you also felt awkward doing that because am I going to make this worse? And I have a year and a half of clinical left. Do I really want to pick this battle right now? And so sometimes you would just kind of eat it and we would all talk amongst ourselves at the school. We all knew and had the same stories from the same people. And we like, Oh yep, I guess it's your turn to be with that person today. And (laughs) Being a CRNA now, if a student says something, I I make a point to ask my students. I'm like, hey, have you been having a good time with my colleagues? You know, what what do you think? What have you learned from so-and-so? And I think that we have to ask the students in a in a way that's not adversarial and open. And then we have to talk to our colleagues because the power dynamic from SRNA to CRNA, I think, makes it awkward for the students and I doubt you're really going to get an honest opinion directly from anyone because of what's at stake for them. Yeah, I will hardly agree with that. You know, I don't think you're going to get an SRNA that should even confront that CRNA. I really don't think that's the place to do it. But I think, you know, either the chief or whoever the director of the school is, maybe at that level, um, would be more of what I'm kind of talking about. Sharon, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm thinking part of this is a culture within the healthcare system. Right. I mean, right. we all know surgeons who are assholes and, <laughs> you know, we yeah. have to deal with them. I mean, how many have seen that little TikTok video that's going around right now? Oh, I'm a great surgeon. And then he starts, put the table up, put the table down. If y'all have seen that TikTok video and we're all doing exactly what I can see Jay doing right now. You're laughing because we all recognize it. It's the culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may not even address it with the surgeon. Most of the times I will later on address it with the surgeon, but a lot of times it's just not worth it. I do think that that part is changing um, just a little bit. There's getting to be more of a zero tolerance going forward, but this is a, this is a hard topic. I absolutely agree um, because there is a, a power imbalance You know, one of the hospitals I work at now, um, the chief of surgery, the chief of uh, he's the chief of the whole medical department is he's a big baby and he shows out all the time and people just know it and just go, oh, well, that's the way Dr. So-and-so is. So I think it's not only an issue within 
our ranks, it's an issue within the healthcare system itself, though, um, which means maybe we're not going to find any answers by the end of this podcast, <laughs> like we would like. But and we know that it's difficult to be a student. Is there some stresses involved with being the preceptor? Yeah, I was just thinking about that, Sharon. There is, there is, because, and I think students, you know, they get to see the other side once they graduate and become a CRNA. There is the stress of the um, acuity of the patient, um, the type of case that you're doing. I work at a big institution that I can do a case I've never done before with a surgeon I've never worked with before on a given day. And that can be, that's stressful by itself when I'm working alone. And then um, when I talk with the student and they ask me questions, well, will they want this? Will they want that? You know, do a tap lock. And I, you know, I have to tell them, you know what, I'm going to have to, either I'll talk to some of my colleagues who may or may not have answers, or we're going to have to wait till tomorrow to talk to the surgeon. And that makes everything um, kind of rushed. And that's, that's stressful in itself, because um, this is a new surgeon, I'm not sure what to expect from them. And so I think it's really important for um, student nurse anesthetists. And I didn't, I didn't think about this when I was a student, Um, I wasn't, you know, I guess, just oblivious, but the stresses that the preceptors under, and um, we are putting people's lives in our hands. And so it, it can be very stressful, especially with a new student. Um, and you could have a student that you've never worked with before, too. So you don't really know where they're at, what their skills are. Now, I will say that I will ask someone else, have you worked with so-and-so before? How are they doing? And they're like, they say, you know, they're doing really well, or they're still kind of struggling with intubations. And so um, if I have time to do that, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And I know kind of where that is. And that'll relieve some of my stress. Uh, so I think that's really um, an important point that, you know, we are under some stress as well. Let me ask you a question. You know, huddling has become a big thing recently. Do preceptors huddle and have discussions about where the students are in their their training? And I don't mean in a negative way, but just like you just alluded to, uh, you know, Jay's doing great. Otherwise, he is struggling a little bit with his A-lines, and maybe we might want to kind of focus on that. Is there any kind of of communication going on like that? You know, um, there is at um, a certain level. Um, We have at my institution, we have um, an education committee um, that I think does a wonderful job and has really improved communication. We are so large that maybe it doesn't filter out to everyone, like where we can get together, because it's nothing you want to, you know, put in an email or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So that is a good thought, especially um, maybe in the beginning that we um, figure out a way to communicate and discuss how people are doing and what their needs are. And I'll speak to Yeah, go ahead. I want to add to that, that the opportunity to, uh, you know, critically evaluate a student is given to you every day with an evaluation. And I appreciated the evaluations I was given where people didn't just check yes, 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 yes. And sent it in, you know, if somebody had some good criticisms or said you were good at this, you you need to work on this, here's a reference you should look at. I really appreciated when somebody took the extra time to fill out that evaluation because it meant they respected me enough to to do that. And I wasn't just another obstacle to for them to get to the end of their day. And so I try to do, do the same thing for my students now. I'm like, what are you struggling with? Is there something you'd like to work on or focus on? How's boards going? Where are you weak on boards? Maybe we can do some demonstrations or, or try some things that might help you understand that in this case. But I think evaluations are very, very important. I think also just to Jay's point, that's a that's kind of a good take home um, to yeah. CRNAs as preceptors that when you do take the time and it does take some time to um, write comments and the fact that you say, you know, you felt respected because someone did take the time yeah. to do that. And, and that's something I try really hard to do. And I will admit on occasion, I have been real busy and I'll do one comment at the bottom. 
and um, I'll, I'll you know mark the evaluation. But that's um, that's really nice to know because we want you to feel respected, or you students to feel respected. Madison, any thoughts on what? Tell us a really good preceptor that you've had and what qualities that they had that may be different than some of the things that we've talked about so far, because you are very new out. Think, I know you've got that person in your head. I'm 30 years out and I know exactly who that person was. So Uh, tell us. You know, there's a handful. uh, the, The good always outweighs the bad. Um, there's a handful that come to my mind when I think of the perfect preceptors and the reason they're all perfect preceptors in their own unique ways. Um, for what was important to me was, um, again, not feeling intimidated, feeling um, that they trusted me enough to, to make even just small decisions without having to turn around and ask for permission. I think, um, you know, obviously they don't, you can't build trust on your first day of clinical or even a first day of working with someone, but um, having a preceptor tell you that they trust you um, enough to, to have a little freedom and a little independence, I don't think has been brought up yet, but that's something that was important to me. And I think that a lot of that's, that's what I, that's the angle that I try to take with my students is um, if I trust them, I tell them I trust them. And I, you know, they, I think they appreciate and respect that. Madison, have you, have you found it stressful to be a preceptor? I mean, is it, I know it feels different, obviously, but do you find it any stressful at all? I mean, I probably should, but no. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's... I love, I love having students um, because I, you know, talking about the good always outweighs the bad, you know. Um, when I was a student, I loved going to clinical on a day that I knew I was going to be with someone who wanted to be with me and who wanted to have a student and wanted to, you know, create that learning environment and let me, you know, get that little bit of independence. And that's just kind of the angle, like I said, the angle that I take. And no, it's, it it is a little bit um, stressful. You know, you want to make sure that kind of like Ann was saying, you know, at the end of the day, the patient is your responsibility. So that part is stressful. But as far as, you know, having a student in my room and knowing that I'm going to create a good environment for them, that, that part is not, not a stressor for me. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Well, Jay, I've got a question for you. And I'm wondering, as a first-year student versus a second-year student, did you find it, were the preceptors different towards you? Um, and I'd, I'd love to kind of get your, your viewpoint on that because you're relatively new as well. I think so, but we were students in an enormous place. I would be with preceptors three or four times and they didn't ever remember it. I mean, there was, <laughs> there was, I don't know how many of us at any given time, 25, 30 students. I don't know, but, uh, I'm sure I stress preceptors out <laughs> for sure. Uh, as a second year student, yeah, I think when you earn the trust and you got to know some of the people, they were like, oh, I can trust Jay with this case, this patient, this surgeon, and and that did help. But, you know, we're still students. We still make mistakes, and you just have to make small mistakes, not big mistakes. And again, going back to the preceptor responsibilities, I think there is still a huge responsibility on the student to be prepared, and that's going to make me feel a lot more comfortable with the student if they show up prepared and some, having some knowledge about what we're about to do. The med center was great about that. The calls helped a lot. And at, at some point, you know, everyone's like, okay, well, yeah, well, we know that this case, we know you, you know, you're about to graduate. You don't need to call me tonight. And I think as a second year student, things got a lot better. 
So do students still stick together uh, throughout all of this? I, I only had, was in a class of 10 and my classmates were my touchstones through all of this. I'll still never forget one of the uh, one of my classmates used to say that back whenever the you actually turned a vaporizer. I don't know if y'all even know what that looks like. <laughs> this push button stuff is really different. But my classmate said he never had enough hands during induction because they're telling him what he needed to do. And he said, well, I've got the four aim vaporizer numbers across my forehead because I just have my forehead to turn the vaporizer. And it became a joke. But we would all talk about the things together. Do y'all still stick together or y'all just so spread out? I see you smiling, Jay. I feel like I talk to you a lot. You know, other so people you find somebody. Uh, yeah, I, I think we stick together. We're a pretty tight class. No one knows what you're going through except the people that you're going through it with. And yeah. so that creates a, you know, a bond that you can turn back to someone, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years later. I see people in all their little class reunions at these meetings and it's they pick up right where mm-hmm. they left off. So I agree. Uh, some my classmates, there's a few of them, 30 years, and uh, we've been out of school and we still see each other. Jerry Hogan from Florida, um, you know, it's like we've never been apart after all of these years. All right, so we've talked about all of uh, the, the tough things. Let's see if we can try and find some answers here. How do we change bullying or uncivil preceptors? thoughts and perspectives who wants to be the first one to throw something out there and how about you go first okay so when i when i think about this um i think about education and encouraging people to self-reflect um and as i mentioned a lot of times people don't realize they're being uncivil but making a student very uncomfortable and so um I hope we could maybe be more accepting of a student talking to us um, and just saying, what is it that, I guess, communication about what you expect from each other. This is a really hard question because it is difficult to, but we, I, I think awareness and education and, and self-reflection, because none of us wants to be treat a, a student poorly. That's not our intention. Our intention is to help them learn. And we're all people. I always said this of teachers with, with my kids. I'd say, you know, teachers are people too. And they're not perfect. And they have things going on in their lives. And, and that happens um, with SRNAs and CRNAs too. So I think talking and mentioning something is not a sign of weakness if there's something going on. I don't have a lot of good answers yet except for, except for those. Would you, would you go to, let's say that you were a colleague of Mean Gene. Would you go to Mean Gene as a uh, CRNA colleague and say, you know, Gene, maybe we need to have a discussion. The students are terrified of you or would you, did you? No, I never have. I think that's something we need to be more comfortable with, with each other. And I think I would want to know that if that were me. And um, I would try to accept the criticism gracefully and try to learn from it. And um, I'm not saying that would would have been always my um, position um, because there was a time, you know, we all grow as we get older and we learn. Um, But um, at this point, yeah, yeah. If someone asked me to, or I, what's really hard is to um, get data about how accurate this is. You know, sometimes you want to say was, this a one-time thing or are, you know, we're such a large place. Um, I'd want to, I'd want to know some more specifics, but yeah, I would hope I could talk to someone. And if it was someone that I wasn't very close to, um, I would maybe discuss it with the clinical coordinator. You know, I, I spoke to someone one time we were having drinks and, uh, you know, things were flowing and, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I said, the students don't really like to work with you very much. I said, uh, and he said, you know, he said, that's okay. I don't really care. It kind of set me back. And I remember him telling me that he trains them the way he was trained. So it was a perpetual thing. You know, someone had done him that way. He's doing that person that way. And, And unfortunately, I think that's kind of 
some of what has happened in this industry. By us talking about it and, and bringing it to the forefront, people know that it's not accepted anymore to do that. And Madison, I'm going to throw this back on you as well here. Um, kind of the same question, but you know, how do you think if you saw someone who was not very nice to a student or was bullying, how do you think we could handle that um, either as a colleague level? Because I'll tell you, you know, if I'm with someone and they're doing that to someone and they consistently are doing that, I'm not going to want to have anything to do with that person. And I'm going to address it head on because I don't care if they like me or not, to be honest with you. And I know you all are laid back type B personalities. <laughs> I mean, I get the personality of CRNAs, but, but I would think that most CRNAs, just because of the personality type, would, would kind of do the same thing. Madison, what's your take on that? I think having the conversation just between the two of you, obviously would be the most important thing. Um, and then, you know, maybe trying to address nursing 101 therapeutic communication, um, you know, try to ask them things such as what do you think um, that the student is learning from this type of behavior or, or just asking them a question that's not necessarily um, you did this it, and phrase it more of a what do you think type of a thing I think would be a reasonable approach. All right, Jay, you're up. Same question. I, I do think it's important to speak with colleagues. And I think I work at a smaller place where it's easier to have a more intimate conversation about specific people because it's not like the med center that's so huge. But I also think I, I just want to readdress my takeaway here is it, we can't always change somebody else, but we can change ourselves. And we just have to realize that and think like, am I being incivil in the way I'm treating this person? That's really. I think the best way to address this whole thing. And I think that this conversation, this podcast, Dr. Chandler's work, it's, it's important. And I'm seeing a culture shift across medicine. Yeah. I've been in medicine for, you know, 15 years, 20 years in different avenues. I worked in research. Was, I worked in EMS. I worked in flight. And over the 20 years, I've just seen medicine is starting to change and it's changing here too. And I'm, and I think that we are improving a lot in anesthesia, but it's just a, a rodent that we just can't seem to shake completely yet. It's persistent, but we're working on it. Hey, Jay, I got a question for him. I'll really put you on the spot here, okay? Um, it, but you might have mentioned this to me before, so I think you might be ready for it. But have you ever bullied anyone? I'm sure I did. I, 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 I think I probably did. And, you know, in school, I think uh, I watched this special on HBO about it, and they the, these people in New York had this conversation and they ran into each other and they're like, oh, we went to the same school. And they remembered this moment when they bullied this student together. And I was watching that and I thought, oh my God, have I ever bullied somebody? And, I, and that's where I kind of came up with this whole thing. I'm like, maybe it's more important that we think about what we've done and just not do that anymore. Change this culture because... Like I was saying, you know, if I'm more concerned about who I'm with than what I'm doing, I'm not learning anything. Mm. And we, we're packing our own parachutes for the future here. You know, we, these people will be the ones doing our anesthesia, our kids' anesthesia, our parents' anesthesia, potentially. And if we don't make good CRNAs, we're not going to protect the profession and we're not going to protect the society. And we really just need to do a better job. Wow. I love that. Packing our own parachutes. Mm -hmm. I like that. My son's a pilot. So that means a lot to me. <laughs> it means a All lot. Right. Yeah. Madison, um, do you think you've ever been in civil or bullied someone? I hope not. Again, like Jay said, you know, we, I think we all probably have. Um, and again, it's, you know, where going back to Anne's definitions, where um, whether it's intentional or unintentional, I think a lot of the times, especially under stressful situations, um, we all are unintentionally, like you yes. said, assholes sometimes. Yeah. Um, True so, that. <laughs> I hope not anymore, but again, <laughs> you know, you. Oh, well, I do. Th I, I, I hear what you're saying. And if it's a stressful situation, I had a code one time and one of the nurses uh, got angry because I'm on the airway and I told them to push, push some epi 
and I'm sure my voice was had a certain tone to it. And the nurse in the room got very upset. Number one, I don't know why she thought I was going to push it because I was on the airway, but I'm sure that my tone was different. You, you know how it is in a in an operating room. Of course, I work a lot in office-based practices, but it's loud. Nobody's listening. They're doing their own thing. And sometimes you have to kind of be sharp um, to get somebody's attention with a lot of things that are going on. And sometimes other people's feelings get hurt. So, you know, I've been guilty myself sometimes, but it, it, it's going to the situation that I'm dealing with at the time. So, Ann, what about you on this question? Do you remember any time that you maybe thought back and thought, um, you know what, I probably shouldn't have done that? Definitely, unfortunately, but that's how we learn. So um, I could go back to when I was a kid. Boy, that just really <laughs> brought up things, you know, because one person yeah. would be to that person and then you'd take that and you'd do it to someone else and then, you know, trickle down. But um, as an adult, I don't think I've ever bullied anyone. Um, but definitely um, have had behavior of incivility and not intentional, but realized it later. And um, when someone's uncivil to you, you can understand sometimes that, you know what, I've done that before too. And that's a behavior that we can work on. We can always improve upon and, uh, and help us grow. And I, I have a little, I had kind of a funny story. Um, so I recently had a, a total knee replacement and um, the day of surgery, I rolled in and, and um, I didn't really know. I didn't have any particular anesthesia provider. I didn't really know a lot of people at this place. And so, you know, I just kind of left it to um, whatever. I, I, trust, I trust the anesthesia providers, the CRNAs. And, and um, so I roll into the room and I look up and someone says, hi, Anne. And it was one of my students taking care of me that day. And luckily, um, you know, we had had a great relationship. She um, took great care of me, but um, it's absolutely right. You never know. Um, you know, we, we train our students and they're going to be taking care of us someday. So always nice to have a good relationship. And I don't think anybody, if I was not a nice person or um, had treated them poorly, that they would take any different care of me. But um, it, it actually was very comforting to see a friendly face. I think that's that's a great point. You know, I remember um, my wife, you know, got a, a case that someone had asked for her to do it and she would never tell me who it was till this person actually told me. Um, and it was the director of uh, a place that she went to school, um, a former director. And, um, and she was so excited that they had requested her to do this case. And, you know, it made her feel so good that she had asked for her to do that. And um, kind of to your point, Anne, I think it's the same way with that, you know, when that student is working or the old students working with someone who, who precepted them, I think it probably makes them feel, feel great as well. Well, you know, I think there's a lot to this topic. I think, you know, just talking about it, obviously we can't solve it this morning on the podcast and at your meeting, um, but I think we've hit on some some really, really good points. I think there's a lot of information out there about it. Holly's done a wonderful job with this um, locally for you guys, so I think she's a, a valuable asset. And, you know, as we kind of wrap up, I'm, I'm just wondering if any of you have concluding thoughts that you kind of want to leave um, our listeners with and uh, your colleagues with who are in the room. So, Anne, we'll start with you. The one point I want to make is that a positive um, supportive environment will support student le learning. And that's how we learn best. So if we can strive for that and um, communicate. Perfect. Madison? I think that, you know, we even only being just under a year out, um, it's easy to forget where you came from. And I think that is more so the longer that you've been out, but just remembering that you were once a student and that you also had bad days and just trying to um, keep that in mind when you have students and be kind and treat them. They, they come to clinical every day to work hard and they come prepared and respecting their hard work 
I think is, is important that we don't forget that. Perfect. Jay. I'd like to reiterate before, just be mindful of those uh, seemingly minor aggressions that you might commit yourself, like sending crappy texts, you know, like a text to another colleague, oh, the student is such an idiot, you know, they did this thing or whatever. And I feel like when those threads and chains start, it's easy to just kind of join in maybe and say, okay, yeah, you know, they, they are stupid or maybe just put the brakes on that sort of thing be like, oh yeah, well, maybe we just need to work on that then with them instead of criticizing it to me, like you should be talking to them. I think there's a way to stop those behaviors uh, productively. And I guess my parting thought is I'm looking at a lot of preceptors out here that train me and show me a lot. I wish I could remember everything that everyone showed me, but thank you, everyone hmm. here that worked with me and tolerating us <laughs> all those years. But you were very, very important Great. to me as a Great point, Jay. Sharon, I, I see you looking there with that finger upon your head, and I know that there's something going through your head, and we don't typically do concluding thoughts, but I'm going to tell you I have something to say about this, but I'm wondering if you do. Um, actually, yes, I do. And, you know, when we were first asked about um, have you had something happen to you, I held back just a little bit, and I'll tell you a little story. Where I trained at, we were not allowed to do spinals because we had a residence program there. So this, uh, the resident, anesthesia resident would come in and do your spinal. And they really didn't care if it worked or not. And they went out. It was a hip. I'll never forget it. And the spinal didn't work. And they were on these old fracture tables way up in the air. So I was going to have to put the patient to sleep because the spinal didn't work. And I'm trying to intubate the patient and I'm pretty tall and I couldn't see. And the anesthesiologist is screaming at me and telling me how stupid I am and uh, why can't I see? And I mean, just it, it was so bad that the surgeon broke scrub and brought me some stools to get up high enough to intubate the patient. And the surgeon said something to the anesthesiologist. So of course, I felt like I could dangle my feet off of a nickel and I was the stupidest thing out there and I was going to be a terrible CRNA. And the preceptor that I had wrote me this note that said, you're going to be a great CRNA and do not let one day change your perception of yourself. It's a very nice note. I want CRNAs out there who work with students you don't know where that student's going to land up one day. Fast forward. I was AANA president. I still have that note. I mailed it to her. Her name was Dwan Roop. And I'm, I still, to this day, have that note that she left for me. And I said, I am going to be AANA president. And it's because you believed in me that day. Mm. Wow. Sharon. Now, you leave me to follow that up. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and, and that's, I mean, that's foretelling right there. And, and knowing you, I, I know that was probably a driving factor for you in, in your career. And, um, and we can use these situations positively or negatively. And Sharon, you chose to turn that around and, and make it positive, And that was great. You know, from my perspective, and I always say I'm an outsider, and I, I feel like an outsider, and then I don't. You know, I mean, I feel like I'm part of this community in a lot of different ways. And in this communities, you know, I think CRNAs have a lot of battles going on out there. And whether you recognize it or not, it's a daily battle. That is with the ASA and everything that's going on at that level and the fact that you know, really, they want to keep you under your thumb, under your thumb, uh, their thumb, excuse me. And they are demeaning what you do on a daily basis. And it's not every anesthesiologist, but that's the message of the ASA. You aren't good enough to function on your own. And then, you know, we have AAs, which are being perpetuated out there. Um, you know, they're just as good as you. 
Um, and we know the whole reason for AAs, and I'm not knocking them by any means. Um, but we also have a supply-demand problem out there. Um, there's not enough anesthesia providers out there to give all the anesthetics we need. Somebody's got to fill that vacuum. And when I look at this purely from an economical standpoint and go, all right, we're graduating, what, 2,200, 2,300 students a year? 50% of CRNAs are going to retire in the next 10 years. If there's 55,000 CRNAs, that means 27,500 are going to retire. And if you extrapolate that out over the next 10 years, if we graduate 2,300 students, there's 23,000 new students there. We're not even keeping up with the demand that's out there, folks. So that's something else to think about when you're working with students. They are the lifeblood of this profession. They are going to drive it forward. They're going to make sure that you as a CRNA continue to get your paycheck. You know, let's break it down even to my level, you know, the financial side of things. But it all comes back to that. And you're all better together. And these students, they're there to learn. They're there to be a CRNA and be part of this community and to help this community grow. And you need to keep that in the back of your mind because ultimately boil it down to if there's not enough of us and we can't win these battles because there's not enough, that could affect my family, my earning power, my career, everything that I've gone to school for. It can have an effect on that. So if it's not the emotional story that, that Sharon told you, it can be the rational financial story that the financial guy told you. There's a reason to make sure those students are learning and make sure you're treating them with respect and dignity. You can, you can explain things to them, but treat them like you would want to be treated. And that's all I've got to say about that, Sharon. So I'm going to say at this point, you know, I want to thank the, the Nebraska State Association and Holly Chandler for, for bringing us there. Adrian, thank you for all your hard work this morning and getting this teed up. Um, and I especially want to say thank you to our three panelists. Uh, Ann, Jay, and Madison, you guys have done a wonderful job. Um, we're appreciative of all you're doing and, and all Nebraska's doing on a national level to promote CRNAs around this country. And I think this is a topic that we don't need to stop with. I think this is just the beginning. So, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. All right. And we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and... Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? Well, the best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. As we've talked about, there's enough negativity in this world. Absolutely. Tell all your friends, share us on social media and help us grow because we are in the top 50 medical podcast in the country and we want to make our way to number number one. And guess what, Sharon? I thought about in the shower. You know, I always have these epiphanies in the shower. That is a visual I did not need. Oh, sorry. But go sorry. ahead. I didn't mean to leave everybody with that this morning. Um, <laughs> that makes me think about a time I was bullied, by the way, but I'll tell you that off air. Um, In the shower? No, oh, no, this no, is no, way no, strange. No, no, no. <laughs> But I was thinking this morning, Sharon, we already are number one in the CRNA community. We are the largest podcast for CRNAs out there in the United States. We're already number one in the CRNA community. Yes, and thank you to all of our listeners for putting us there. That's right. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. 
Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.